You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz. And just a reminder, you still have a chance to win a family pass to the Vancouver Whitecaps FC match. That's happening this Friday at 7.30 p.m. at BC Place. So do stay tuned for that cue to call this hour. We are now speaking to Margareta Dovgal, Managing Director at Resource Work Society. And this week's topic is Canada-U.S. cooperation on economic issues, lessons from the Pacific Northwest Economic Region on climate, housing, transportation, and disaster resilience. Margareta, thank you for joining us. Wonderful to be here. Good morning, Karen. Now, this week you were in Boise, Idaho. What brought you there and what have you learned? Well, every year, an organization called the Pacific Northwest Economic Region, also known as PINWR, gathers for its annual summit. And for its 32nd annual event, our resource works team, uh, myself and uh, the two Oscars on my team, yes, there's two, uh, came to Boise, the capital of Idaho, and uh, we met up with uh, Stuart Muir, our CEO and founder. And I've been familiar with PINWR's work for nearly a decade now. Uh, it actually has a lot to do with how I got involved with ResourceWorks back in the day. Uh, around 2015, I was a student at UBC, and as a result of interacting with folks like Stuart, became really interested in issues around energy and climate. It's a much hotter topic now, for obvious reasons, but it was picking up pace then, too. And it really gave me an opportunity to engage with uh, experts on a variety of issues on how we resolve climate change. Uh, back in 2015, our CEO, Stuart, put me on a a small little research project to track down some facts and stats about the resource economies of each member, which includes, as you'd probably expect, provinces like BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, territories, Yukon, Northwest Territories, as well as states like Washington, Montana, Oregon, Idaho, and uh, and many, many others. And I drove in, I, I had a chance to really, really get into the national economic statistics for Canada and the U.S. Didn't really know what I was doing at first, but I uh, quickly learned, as well as the complex often poorly digitized budgetary documents for each jurisdiction, trying to effectively estimate what role natural resources actually had in each economy. And that turned into a little paper published by ResourceWorks. And from there, my long-term engagement with this team started in earnest. And eight years later, I run the organization day-to-day. So it was only appropriate that I finally make my way down, meet the people who make this organization work. And in essence, it's a diplomatic and business forum. There's delegates from each jurisdiction, a slate of interested attendees such as myself from the private sector and nonprofits, and a really full three-day agenda. And in fact, our CEO, Gerd Muir, spoke to regulatory and permitting hurdles uh, across the border and between Canada and the U.S. So it's been a really interesting couple of days and we have a lot to share. On both sides of the border, especially in cities like Seattle and Vancouver, meeting the needs of growing populations continues to be a big challenge for local and regional governments. What have the conversations this week taught you about approaches and potential solutions on housing and transportation? What many cities in the Pacific Northwest overall have in common is they are highly, highly, highly desirable places to live. Very developed economies, proximity to natural beauty, and a bit of R&R if you have time for it as well as inclusive multicultural communities, for the most part. And much of the reason why this area became what it is today is just the sheer amount of natural resource wealth that has historically and continues to today flow out of the region, as well as agricultural exports, tourism, services. We have a lot to offer the world, and the world wants in. So it makes this area a very prime target for relocation, whether that's from within each respective country, people going from Canada to the U.S. or vice versa, or as we're seeing right now in Canada, at a very high rate from abroad. And that's exactly what's happening. Uh, Canada is beating the U.S. in terms of population growth, and a lot of people are landing in cities like Vancouver. As a result, housing prices are spiraling out of control under all of this excess demand. Uh, And as I often talk about, local residents are being left in the dust 
especially those that didn't get a chance to buy into the market quickly enough or, you know, never had the income to support ownership of a home. So keeping up with the human pressure, the growth, that is a prevailing challenge for all jurisdictions in this region today. And if it's not addressed well, uh, you get some really serious, gnarly implications for equity, people's well-being economically, and community cohesiveness. People are forced out of the city. Those that service the things that we need every day can't afford to live in the city where they work. And in terms of sustainability, we end up with horrible, horrible urban sprawl. And if you combine that with inefficient transportation, uh, more and more sprawl, a lack of density, that really hurts the planet and, of course, our long-term well-being on this planet. Uh, we also talked about issues like the World Cup in 2026, which is going to be, I hear, the world's largest event ever. It's being uh, co-hosted by a number of cities, including Seattle and Vancouver. That's going to put a huge stress on the short-term rentals, hotel accommodations market, and uh, potentially create even more challenges for people that are looking to rent in this market. Uh, but as we've seen in Vancouver the last couple of years, and in many other places in the Pacific Northwest, the public will to address these issues is building, and it's building at an unprecedented pace. Uh, in BC, the provincial government has taken a very singular, uh, necessary, uh, relevant, timely view of the matter. They've signaled to municipalities that if they fail to get their house in order, so to speak, the province is actually going to step in to ensure that an adequate amount of housing gets built. But given the jurisdictional framework, you know, we have provinces and a federal government, municipalities, uh, states, and uh, federal government here in the U.S., um, we know that we can't go at it alone. So it's a matter of interest alignment and regional coordination. Uh, when you're making investments in a city like Vancouver, you need to do everything you can to ensure that um, there is an adequate supply of housing in the region as a whole. But uh, given the overall jurisdictional framework, um, I'm really, really optimistic that we'll be able to make this whole thing work if we coordinate effectively. Um, and on the interest alignment piece, many people have bought into the real estate markets. Um, so you know, even as they're getting hit hard in terms of their children's ability to purchase homes or even afford to rent, there's resistance to increasing supply at the scale needed. So my conclusion is that everyone, uh, decision makers, voters, needs to look at their own biases. Uh, and, of course, similar challenges persist with following the rest of the world on transportation solutions that are fit for the 21st century. That's uh, principally high-speed rail. Uh, so we need to do a lot of work on all of these things to keep up with the population growth, the demand, and ensure that our cities and our communities continue to be inclusive, effective places for people to live and thrive. Another area of shared concern is on disaster resilience. On both sides of the border, there is worry about earthquakes and our ability to respond to them. But we're also being hit harder than ever by the consequences of climate change. Where did the dialogue land? Well, our built environment needs to withstand extreme events. And we know that's going to persist as climate change hits us harder and harder. Uh, there's a huge amount of investment and money that's needed. Uh, it's very, very expensive. Sacrifices need to be made. We need to do the same thing in terms of transitioning our energy systems to act on climate. So there's a adaptation piece. Uh, you know, it's, it's building up uh, bridges and roads that can withstand more frequent extreme weather events like storms and extreme precipitation. Uh, it's ensuring that residential and commercial buildings have appropriate cooling and heat dissipation uh, so that people can stay comfortable even as the heat rises. Uh, in contrast as well, when things get very cold, we need to have pure, affordable, and reliable solutions to ensure people can stay warm. Um, so there's a lot of work that's needed there, and we need to build up the capital pool 
even more than we have been up to this point to make these kinds of investments possible. And one theme that came up repeatedly, essentially in every session that uh, we listened into, um, but particularly in the lunchtime session that Stuart had on stage with Alex Hargott, who is a Washington, D.C.-based permitting expert, was that we won't be able to fully leverage our economic potential if we don't resolve this jurisdictional maze that uh, limits our ability to develop our uh, major productive industries. Um, and Alex really, really touched on the technical, technical complexity of uh, regulation. There's a shortage of talent to navigate it. The rules are always changing in the U.S., whether that's by state or by uh, the federal government. Uh, and there's also, common to Canada, a lot of risk intolerance uh, by regulators. There's poor incentives for coordination and innovation. So effectively, there's no sil- silver bullet that will fix these problems. But we have an imperative to get there. The world is transitioning. It's driving to sustainable solutions. And if we want to do things like supply the world with cleanly, responsibly, and ethically produced critical minerals, which we need for electrification, uh, we need to fix these problems. And he talked a lot about the way that this recognition, this reality, is being understood by decision makers and courts. Um, there's increasing accountability when you know someone targets a local project using the process against it to obstruct it, um, and when the cost is energy security, affordability, energy carbonization objectives. So a lot more work needed, but I think we're on a good track, and we just need to keep the political will and public will building behind that. One more thing. You've previously mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act from the Canadian perspective. Were you able to learn more about how this legislation and its impacts on Canada are being understood by opinion leaders in the U.S.? Well, to be very honest, it's become clear to me that the differential impacts on Canada are not really well understood. Um, also continues to be considerable disagreement, you know, within the U.S. on, you know, whether climate change is happening. Uh, yes, yes, it is. Uh, whether climate action is needed, my own opinion, yes, yes, it is. Uh, a lot of consensus has built around that, though, but not everyone is on the same page. Um, but even among those who broadly support the massive, massive uh, influx of cash that the Biden administration has uh, targeted for energy transformation um, and industrial policy, that's called the Inflation Reduction Act, doesn't really you know, help you know what the, the actual legislation is about based on the name. Um, I don't think that the impact on Canadian investment and industries like Canada's oil and gas are actually well understood. So that's a message that uh, I've committed to take more readily to folks that I have met, folks that I know working in the United States on policy matters, just to ensure that they're not cutting us out as they attempt to build a more solid, cohesive local alliance around energy security, and resource security. Um, And a lot of work is going to need to go into thinking about uh, how the U.S. is going to have that fiscal base long term to make investments uh, that it needs to make to keep its industries competitive. So uh, good diplomatic relations, frequent dialogue, uh, discussion, and collaboration on issues of overlapping and shared priority is a pathway to make those kinds of things happen. We need to continue to have these dialogues and just talk to each other as humans, as individuals, and as organizations. And Penwer is a fantastic example of that. So very excited for uh, Canada and uh, Whistler, B.C. in particular, to be the host of next year's annual summit. So looking forward to sharing more details on that as they come up. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care. Thanks, Karen. All the best.